Are you the one that said to me, if what comes of Donald Trump's election yeah. is people's awareness of bullshit, of bullshit yeah. then this is 100% worth whatever. Absolutely. Right. If people become aware of the bullshit in the media and, and false news and fake news and misleading news and news that truncates really complex things into sound bites that aren't true when you share them, I, 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 would, I would have voted for Donald Trump if that was what was going to come. <laughs> Welcome back to another Zengineering Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. Uh, so... Round three. Da-ding. Round three, yeah. This is this is a hard <laughs> one to do. Um, For sure. This is like our hardest topic. I'm not even going to... I'm not going to pretend like I need to introduce when this is happening and what the context is. You're probably in the United States if you're listening to us. You know what's going on. Here's my challenge for you. Tell me something good about Donald Trump. Tell me something good about Hillary Clinton. Are you proposing that to me specifically or our listeners? Yes. No, I was proposing that to you. <laughs> Great. I'll tell you something. Cause I wrote this on my, my sister's Facebook stream because I've been trying to have a very positive conversation with her. I am excited that Donald Trump is primarily a business person and an entrepreneur and not a lifetime politician. You can argue a lot of different perspectives on that comment, but the general idea that he has been doing other things and he has been working for economic benefit for a business, I think is a great perspective to apply to his role as CEO of the U.S. federal government. I'm excited for that perspective. I'm glad it's not a lawyer who's a politician for their full-time job because it will do something new. And so you mentioned you mentioned the post on your sister's Facebook page. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, talk to me a little bit about the approach that you I've have, I've greatly admired the approach that you have taken throughout the election season in your effort to engage in political discourse mostly via Facebook. Explain your your methodology, <laughs> your approach. <laughs> well, I I think it's good for the world and I everyone spend, should be this way. <laughs> I don't usually post at all on Facebook, really. I post pictures sometimes. I very rarely post articles. I only do when I think it's really, really of value. And so I spent a week writing a post about voting for Hillary Clinton. Uh, just off and on, it was a text file that opened on my computer that I would play with every once in a while. And I was trying to, it was more of a process for myself than anyone else, trying to figure out how do I want to present how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking, uh, knowing all of the complexities. And I ended up coming to the conclusion that what I wanted to share was just a positive view of a decision that I was about to make. And so I wanted to say both what I was feeling and what I was thinking. I wanted to stay entirely positive. I wanted to discuss my candidate and my vote. And I did not want to say anything negative about the other candidate or other people's votes. And so I wrote a post that just clearly stated that I was voting for Hillary Clinton uh, and that I, and this is, this is the conclusion I've come to. And I even kind of stayed away from, uh, reasons. I, I mean, I listed stuff, but I didn't list like a bunch of facts. I didn't list a bunch of like policies. I tried to kind of keep it neutral and more just make it my, here's my, here's my feeling. And this is what I'm making my decision on because that was kind of the conclusion I was forced into is I have to make this decision based on a feeling because I quite simply can't just make it based on facts. And I think, I think the way you articulate that is relevant to the, the conversation we keep having around this. Like you, you, what you end up sharing is a feeling, but it's, but it's regarding a decision in this sort of like binary system, but where each, you know, where each decision has the weight of many different complex things behind it. And we don't, we're, no one, no one is equipped enough to possibly understand the complexity of those decisions. Like every president starts looking young and ends the job looking old. <laughs> like a fucking zombie years. <laughs> is eating their <laughs> legs. I, I can't possibly, I've always maintained that when you go in and you start to learn the things that the president knows about the state of things, you either learn it's a big job, but everything's pretty well covered. Here's all the things you don't know as a, as a, as a civilian, 
or you realize it's way worse than we ever possibly could have imagined. <laughs> Everything is living on a thread. We're almost about to kill everyone always. Like <laughs> just, and you can't possibly like either way, the job is superhuman. No one is fit to be president and, and, you know, chief operator of an entity this large. That's a fair comment. Right? That's and a so, very fair comment. So no one is equipped for this job. And so to try to process what it means to be equipped for that job, no one, no one, no one can really give you a decision that would ever be particularly ironclad. And ultimately, everyone's vote comes down to, I've tried to look at what I can, and I feel this way about it. Yeah. And so then when I say something that doesn't agree with what you're saying, it it's it's an attack not necessarily on your logic or on your research skills or anything like that. It's an attack on how you feel. It's like you being like, I feel sad today. And then me saying, well, you're wrong. Yeah, cheer up, Don't idiot. Don't be a bitch. <laughs> or the alternative, hey, I feel awesome today. And someone comes in and goes, no, it sucks today. It, it rained. sucks today. My car stalled this morning. Right. Right. It's this amazing emotional uh, battle. So, so, so I've appreciated that your, your tone has been like, so part of the conversation we've been having and we've been flailing around, I think, is how do you come to a constructive, like what, how do you, how do you come to any kind of moral at the end of a conversation about how you should proceed through political discussions? And I guess what, what it kind of gets to is like, you, you have to treat it like an emotional conversation, right? It's like, you need to look to how they tell you to behave in group therapy. <laughs> like if you want to try to have conversations about this stuff, because like your approach about positivity never takes it to that place where I feel like the vast majority of political discourse is right now, which is just like, yeah, well you suck. And the other person says, yeah, well, but you suck and your ideas you are bad. More. You have to start every conversation from the assumption that they believe everything they're saying and that they hold that belief with the passion that will hurt them personally and like <laughs> physically if you take it away from them. Right. And then how do you, how, how can you respond in that way? Right. Like punching them repeatedly is not helpful. So I was. I was trying, I tried to elicit a response. Well, first of all, let me say, so back to that post that I put about, hey, I'm voting for Hillary Clinton, uh, roughly, this is why, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I was trying, I I had purpose with it. And uh, I was, I didn't tell anyone in it to vote for Hillary Clinton. My, I decided my purpose was to share my perspective and I said specifically, I'm hoping that knowing my vote will help you vote. And I was hoping that my character and people's uh, experiences and knowledge with me, if someone was on the fence, I was hoping they would vote for Hillary Clinton because of my post. And so I, I, I basically said that. I didn't say quite that directly. but So I had a lot of intention. And one of my other intentions was I was hoping that people who disagreed with Hillary Clinton as my vote, who wanted to vote for Donald Trump, would offer up a positive response about their vote. Uh, and what I discovered is that pretty much no one anywhere offered up anything positive about their decisions on either side. People just immediately got into a... They would call it debate, but it was really just asking a question that uh wasn't that you knew the other person couldn't really answer or asking a question then just ignoring the answer and, and t for what it's worth i engaged in the conversation and the thread of those comments and i tried really hard to be inspired by your post originally in terms of not attacking what anyone else would say but responding with well but here's the you know I like like I was trying to have a legitimate debate where you just sort of talk about policy and and really nobody was having it um 
There was one place where I specifically sort of attacked an argument, but it was just, it was partially because it was so such a comical response, I thought. <laughs> there, I was, I, I, <laughs> I, I found that, <clears throat> that post to be a really uh, powerful experience for me. Because again, I don't usually post stuff like that. I do love talking about controversial topics with people, but in the heat of that moment and that week, right before the election, uh, I was lost trying to figure out what is the purpose behind these things. What is even the point of us discussing policy? Because you don't really have a choice. There are two people here, and each of them have thousands of perspectives on thousands of important things. And you don't really get to pick based on those perspectives. You just have this person or this person. And so I think a lot of the angst that this this is my biased opinion on what I was starting, what I've started to discover. I think a lot of the angst that's existing is misplaced between people. I'm not upset at a friend of mine for wanting to vote for Donald Trump or for voting for Donald Trump. I'm upset that I don't really feel like anything either of us is doing uh, in in this area in like a political election is really accomplishing much. And so it's a frustration both with myself for not having more power in something that I'm told constantly is so important. You must get out and vote, which I I believe on many levels it is. But then I also there's like a... I started to feel a lot of self-doubt and self-loathing for not being involved in more ways in things that I care about. Um, I started, we, my fiance and I started watching, we watched a bunch of documentaries that week, which we always do, but with a different passion than usual. Um, and I think the election draws something out in us that is underlying at all times and we don't really get to address. And then every four years, it kind of comes up and we get really pissed off. And then we, realize <laughs> we can't do anything. And then we digress again. Well, it's a really, I mean, so let's chase this. It's just a frustrating scenario to have created, like in any context, you know, it's like, there's nowhere else in life other than political elections, where what you're given is such a super sort of binary way of making a decision based on so much data. There's just nowhere else, right? It's like there are health decisions and it's maybe like, here are the risks. Here's what might happen. There are like financial decisions, but usually that list is like 10 to 20 items that you can kind right. of break down and process and whatever, right? right? Like buying a car is very complicated and potentially very dangerous. Right. But, and there's a gradient of outcomes, yeah. you know, and, and... But there are thousands of cars to pick inputs. from. But there are thousands of... You're right. There's thousands of cars. And there's thousands of other options. Motorcycles, there's mopeds, there's... Like, if you're trying to solve the problem of how do I get to work in the morning, a car is not even the furthest, like, you, <laughs> there's... Right? So, so when we're trying to solve the more nebulous problem of... Who's going to who's going to be the this is the other reason that this conversation is stupid because we're just <laughs> electing the figurehead for a giant organization full of thousands of people all that get to make decisions in this process right so it's yeah. almost so it's frustrating because it's this hugely complex system with this weird binary choice we have to make at the end that we also know is sort of meaningless cuz it's sort of just a mass demonstration of preference but it, like the person is just the figurehead. I mean, they are the head of the executive branch. They do a lot of important things, but they don't actually make the laws. They don't, I mean, they don't, they're not supposed to actually be able to start wars. They need Congress's approval. They, they can, they can threaten war, but Congress in the constitution has the war power. Like they have to vote to go to war. They can lob a few grenades over the wall. Yeah. There's a lot of questionable <laughs> things like quote police actions you can get away with unilaterally. But like full on declared war, and now the Geneva Convention applies to you differently. So let's just let's we've been struggling all morning. <laughs> let's just get outside the box. Who gives a shit about how the policy actually works right now and how our system actually works? We've got a right a, how a bunch of things have been. I I've been toying with, with this, or I think I think we've reached a point where 
well, maybe not a point, but there there will be a point. There there are things happening where the uh, the <laughs> structure of the United States government will be antiquated. It is a huge system. It potentially it's very arguably, I think, the largest like human made business political entity on earth and we built it around a certain set of rules and regulations and ideals and it will become outdated and it won't serve its purpose anymore at some point but take and it back so, to that so so like 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 sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. the idea of government or democracy right like the place to go a step further back from that is what is government right like what are laws like laws are just an agreement that here's a set of rules that were decided upon based on a system that we all also decided upon collectively. Mm -hmm. And because they ran through that system, we're going to trust that that's the best way to be to the point that in a lot of cases, we're, we're assenting to being locked up if we don't follow those rules. And essential in that whole process is communication. You have to talk to one another to get to this, the existence of this rule set, the existence of this entity that's going to govern this giant corporation, like you said, that is the government, right? And so what we've gone through and what we talk about so much in the podcast is this fundamental shift in the ability to communicate. And so when you say like the government is antiquated, there are places where that is very real. Like they're still using folders in... You know, pieces of paper in manila, like manila folders, folders in, in <laughs> file cabinets to store things, right? And we say it here to the Can't people that are those. listening to this podcast, and it's like, <laughs> God, that's so antiquated. But also, like, you got to take it a step further back. Like, I'm always trying to push here, which is what's – what, like, it could be that the idea of how we vote is full-on antiquated. Like, how do you – how do you handle yeah. the decisions in this complicated system that we just talked about in a world where kind of everybody could weigh in if they're willing to do it via right. text message? And also, how do you decide what is appropriate for like a region that is governed and how does that split up? The United States was this really interesting, I mean, I'm certainly not a historian on this stuff, but the United States was this uh, interesting uh, experiment in, hey, we've got we've got these 13 colonies and they all are made up of people who wanted to break away from some other political establishment that was suppressing them. And they've kind of organically formed based on their economies and their and their uh, the ecology of the area that they're in they and by their religion. Diff- yeah, they all have and a different said, way of life based on their geography, right. essentially. Right. It's like you live right. in the Even hills and your the, life is different. Just every the geography day. to find that. Like I have moved from one city to another in different climates. And your life is different if you have winter and it gets wildly snowy, different, icy, wildly different. And the sun goes away for six months out of the year. Like, right, it's, life is different for you. Let's just say it, it's <laughs> easy to be happy every day in Southern California. Yeah, it really is. It's really easy to wake oh, up man, and meditate I didn't in the morning. Until I left, but so the the United States took these colon these different groups and said, "Hey, we're not going to just make you do." We gotta we gotta fight back against this organization that wants us back in it. Let's <laughs> let's form an allegiance here, but let's keep let's keep power separated out into the states, right? Let's keep these regions separate, let's keep your cities separate. And so you've got this breakdown, you've got this this hierarchical web that is the United States. Now you've got fifty states and you've got these things that these political uh, ideals that people argue about states rights government's rights the balance of power how how big should the federal government be how many regulations should you have leave me alone smaller government more taxes less taxes there's not like a right or wrong with those things there's just a are we doing good is the person who voted for it being helped are they being hurt are more of the people being helped or hurt and then what percentage of those people should weigh in on certain things like, if you really look at a lot of regulations, maybe we should weight your vote on certain things based on your propensity to use that thing. Like, there's all this stuff that comes into this, into play now that uh, people are just aware of more. And people are aware of statistics, which I think is a real a real concept that people didn't used to, like, think about all the time. And now, now everyone can kind of look at the situation and be like, well, this is just dumb. 
it's dumb what we're doing and i'm pissed <laughs> off about it well, and i'm pissed that because your person's not going to fix it and so fuck your person well right I and, and, and i think that goes back to that same problem if here's this thing of complexity and then here's this thing of like what, what i think is so cool about it having spent a year like the extent of my authority on this is taking it when you take constitutional law that a significant component is understanding the constitutional context of how we got where we are now versus where we started from this like two page document of basic rules. And so the whole idea, and I think this is part of what makes it work was about States rights and States rights is like a, it's a term if you hear usually Republicans these days throw around a lot, but the whole idea was your way of life, if you're in Nebraska, is very different from Southern California, and you just are going to need different things. And so you should decide what those things are. And there are certain things that were meant to be assigned to. And so this gets to my thing where if you were to challenge me to say something good about Donald Trump, like I, I do frequently think that there's something to the argument for states' rights in the sense of, I don't know what people over in that state need. So yeah, figure out your tax policies, figure out your agriculture policies. I have no idea what you need for your corn-based agricultural economy. Corn-based syrup? But yeah. That but, was a pretty weak uh, uh, positive thing about Trump. I don't think you even no, used his I, name but, or reference anything about him. Um, well, I, I don't think he's a nice person, so <laughs> I can't, it's not really, don't go negative. that's what you're looking for. Tell me something no, positive uh, about Donald Trump. And it can be anything. He was, he was giving... It doesn't need to be political. So in the he gave an interview on 60 Minutes, and they asked him about uh, abortion. Mm -hmm. And the specific question, I think, was, what, what would you say to someone who lives in a state where abortion is now illegal who needs to get an abortion? And he said, I would say, go to another state. And... This isn't necessarily answering your your positive question, but it but it kicks off where I think like the place to go with this is I don't think that's a wrong answer based on what the structure of our government is supposed to be. Now we could either assent to that structure being antiquated. You're a good politician right now. What? You're a good politician right now. I, you know, we can either assent to that structure being antiquated or we could go, actually, that really works. And if you really believe so strongly that that's the state of how it should be with abortion, then okay, go over here. But part of the problem is we're having this argument, we're having arguments about things that get to that place of feeling that you were talking about. Like, there is no answer to is it right or wrong. The, the answer is, this is how I feel about abortion. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of the state system is supposed to be, okay, if that's how you feel, there's a place for you to live. And by that, we are united and free, right? Like, And that well, sounds conceptually like a great argument until you look at the practical case, which is somebody having to drive 300 miles to get a medical procedure, regardless of economic standing, that's a hardship. Right. And they might run into a new problem. They might cross the state border and get pulled over because their car pollutes too much. And so there's no ideal location for anyone to go to where everything they want is going to be the way they want it. So we kind of the whole concept of uh, freedom is sort of flawed at a fundamental level. You can't really have anything going on if you want freedom and now we've mixed in freedom with the right to clean water and the right to roads and the right to to health care and the right to vote and the right to get twinkies at this convenience store down the street it, it's back to like stuff we talked about in our very first podcast right like if you follow the transition of we need to design a thing to carry water with us so that we're not constrained by having to live by this body of water all the time now we want that thing to work better. Now we want the water to come to us. Now the water has gotten to us with such certainty that we want to treat it like a right. Mm -hmm. And so it's not acceptable to people to 
drive into another state and find out they don't have the right to water. They have to go to a depot. They have to pay a lot of money for it. They can't now they can't afford this thing that's going to keep them alive because of the policies of that state. Right. Mm -hmm. And if we're all going to live in a system, like I was saying before about this, this nebulous idea of government as a giant system of cooperation. If you have a gap that wide, cooperation breaks, and it's how you end up with civil wars. Because when somebody says to you, you can't have slaves anymore because that's morally reprehensible, and you're standing there going, our whole economy is based on slaves. As far as we can see it, if you take our slaves away, our way of life goes away. Like, that's why you, how you have a civil war, right? Like, you're talking about a gulf that wide. Mm -hmm. And so... One of the things that, that I've been toying with is like a conceptual model here is that the <clears throat> the idea of debating policy is not really for, is not really useful all the time. It has to be what gets done. It has to be the day job of the politician, of the, of the mayor, of the governor, of the president. They have to enact policy. They have to make decisions to get roads built and to get clean water. Uh, and to come up with a healthcare system. But what people really care about, and what I think the politicians really care about, I mean, I, 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 I like to take the assumption that people who work in government are there because they care about stuff. They care about people. They care about making the world better. And so the debate, the whole, a presidential election should be about a moral code. It shouldn't be about, it shouldn't exactly be, or maybe it shouldn't initially be about how you're going to enact that moral, how you're going to support that moral code. I think it should be, there should be more debate over how should we be as people. It shouldn't be, what are you going to do about immigration? It should be, what are your thoughts on human life? Where should people be allowed to live? How, how, what, what should, what is guaranteed to you as a human? Let's start at the constitution and start with the, the sentences that begin the constitution. How do you guys feel about these? All men are and then expand equal, that part. Yeah, shouldn't we have a code <laughs> that is evolving as a country? The moral code of the United States should be something that exists and evolves through time as different people and different groups move through power. What if in because they're just they're these concepts that I think people that we could get people to agree on. Wouldn't it be great if everyone were healthy all the time? Stop thinking about policy or how to enact that. Wouldn't it? Would would you agree that that if you could, would you let everyone on Earth be healthy all the time? Yes. Right. I. It's. Re, it would be really hard to get most people to say yes to that if you're in a debate context because they assume you're going somewhere where you're going to like trick them. You've got some logical fallacy. You're going to pull out some legal trick and right. throw them in jail. But conceptually, I think everybody wants everyone else to be healthy and happy and feel good. And so if we, if that becomes our debate and then the policy sits on top of it, it takes it away from, well, your fiscal policy is stupid because of these 47 studies that have been done over the last 50 years. And mine's awesome because these 13 economic professors from Harvard support it. That's like, that's an awfully difficult discussion to have between people. If you haven't already agreed on some underlying goal together, how can you even discuss policy if you don't agree on an underlying goal? Like you... Your policy is meaningless. If you don't think everyone should be healthy, then we can't even begin to talk about healthcare. What's the fucking point? You don't want people to be healthy. So the whole argue, the whole discussion is a waste of time. And so we need to get to a deeper core here. Well, it's but the it doesn't problem need to be that, static. So the problem though is the the extrapolation in the conversation, right? And I think it's worth talking about here more broadly. Like what we're trying to do, mm -hmm. what we're trying to pick apart. I think is. Like if we had to name the episode, I feel like it would now at this point be on, like on political discourse or something, right? It's like you're talking about how do you talk about these super complicated things, right? And your idea that it comes down to, well, is human life valuable or not? Should every let's go with healthcare, right? Because abortions mm -hmm. too maybe healthcare should everyone get to be healthy as a right? Mm -hmm. It's an easy thing to say yes to, but then if I tack on. What if it makes your life a bit more uncomfortable and you start to lose some people that are like, well, actually, because that's what you're talking about with universal health care. Everybody's going to lose a little bit of income in exchange for everyone gets to be have have, you know, a guaranteed standard of health care access. And 
when I say the supposition of like moral behavior is this also is tied up in the whole conversation because if somebody like if you extrapolate from the fact of somebody's against universal health care and their argument against it is i pay too much under this system you can't chase that all the way to the place of then you must not care about human life and the idea that everyone should be healthy right like because that's probably not where they're going with it. And to chase it there is not constructive. And I do it all the time. And then I'm like, oh, too bad. This friend of mine turned out to be a piece of shit. And that's not a fair place to go with it. And it's not constructive. F- f- even if, if, if all I'm chasing is for my well-being, it's not constructive to go to that place. Because I don't think it's a valid extrapolation. Well, what could be constructive there is to not use that moral code as leverage to argue with someone but to use it as a safe place to go back to. Hey, whoa, we've gotten really heated here. Let's go back and look at our moral code. We all agree that we want people to be healthy. We all agree that it's the right in our current society, in our current time with the technologies we have and the infrastructure we have. We agreed that it would be really great if everyone could be healthy all the time. So let's keep keep proceeding. Let's remember that. Let's hug over that concept. (laughs) <laughs> right. The way that you chase that to begin with, and I guess this is where I'm going with it in the same vein, is if you employ positivity, you can't go to that place of this is this person is just morally bankrupt, right? Like if right. you only are gonna go, okay, so like that's why I think we start from that question of what's a positive thing about Donald Trump, right? Like the reason I haven't been able to provide one really is because I think you gave the the answer that I would give, right? Like the easy one, the positive answer. <laughs> yeah. But it is also, I mean, it is a valid perspective, which is maybe the system is complex enough and tied up enough with economics and global markets and things like that, that like you should have a business background to run the country. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned that we've spent too much time talking about Donald Trump in positive, in a positive light. <laughs> I don't want that to send the wrong message. No, I, well, it just, what I was trying to say was more like, you, you have to understand that the person that you're talking to on the other side of how you think stuff should be, they're not there just to beat you. They're there because that's what they feel is right. Right, there's not a, <laughs> there shouldn't be a win-lose mindset and how do you cut a win-lose mindset out of a system that i just described which is so massive and ridiculous but in the end there's this binary decision you stop being so fucking negative about everything you could also make it not a binary system yeah why is kind of that is kind of the rule i mean we come down this this comes down to like basic group collaboration somebody's got to ultimately make a decision didn't our, um, our system used to take the loser and make them VP? Yeah, actually. What a, what a, that seems like a great thing to do, right? Half of the country wants this thing to happen. Half the, the other half wants this thing to happen. Let's make them work together. I don't know Fuck. why that went away, right? But that's the idea of the, the Swedish system. You end up with an odd number of delegates, and each one represents the top. Because they have like 13 political parties. And so the top three get to run the country. But it means that they all have opposing views and feelings about how this thing should be, and they have to hash it out at the top before an executive decision gets made on anything. This is where I was starting to go with a comment earlier, and we we, kind of went somewhere else with it. But the United States is a huge institution, the U.S. federal government, the country as a whole, its economy, its states, etc. And its system just isn't going to work well forever. And so... I don't see how we could really change these things. I have a list of interesting, like, policy, like, fundamental changes to the U.S. government that could be made, but they'll never get made. They will never change, uh, like, fundamental foundational aspects of how people get elected. And so uh, the world is ready for a new system to come into play. And you can only see that where an old system has failed or an old system has gone away. And I think a positive view on what uh, the world stage tries to do in countries that are in bad shape is they try to go in and set up something that's better 
than what we had before. They, the United States is this brand new system of government that was established a few hundred years ago and totally blew everyone's mind. And everyone's like, shit, we've been living in this shitty state where everyone's a king and they're like royalty and maybe they're... People have to carry their part provenance gods. around? I think uh, that was in Fuck their provenance. I'm going to go live in this place where we elect someone to lead. That swept the planet. Right. And, and a lot of the world lives in that now, <clears throat> in that conceptual uh, sort of democratic, pseudo-democratic government. And it's looked at as like the future for people and a better place to be. But it's far from perfect. And it's not going to be the system that's here in a thousand years. It might not be the system that's here in 50 years. What's interesting is I think, you know, and, and I, uh, like, I've certainly not made vast study of you know, the feelings of the founding fathers, exactly. But going from what was written in the documents that we still use to run our country, like, they were very aware. They had just gone through a bloody rebellion and revolution of a form of government. And they were very aware that that's a thing that needs to happen. Like, and and I don't mean, I don't, I'm, it's not that place of like, we should get guns in the streets, you know, like, but the idea that governments change, like when people when when people present as an argument that the Constitution is this ironclad, like you know, not meant to be changed document. <laughs> usually, the argument that I present is, never mind what you want to point to to say that it should stay the same. Like, imagine where your head would be if you had just finished a war against a, you know, a vast empire and won, and now you got to decide what to do next. Like your awareness of the need to do that would probably be pretty high, right? Like, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> so like, it's just, it's just me trying, like, I'm just trying to reframe this idea of like, you, there's no possible way that they thought what they were writing down were, the laws for how it was to be forever forever and they talked about it a bunch in letters back and forth that i've read about how like jefferson thought they were going to have a bloody rebellion on the scale that they had just had like once a generation mm -hmm. every 50 years he thought we were going to have a full-on revolutionary war maybe we need that <laughs> <laughs> That's part of what I'm right? afraid of when we seem I mean, so divided. There, if there is no civilization in history that hasn't had that, except for current ones that haven't had one yet, right? So it's kind of an inevitable state. That's not a very positive view, and that's not. It's it's great to think about the United States and other uh, Western governments as this amazing progressive accomplishment that will take us into outer space on spaceships to travel the universe and spread the good word but that's just not what history tells us is going to happen and so i think back to your original point about you come into the presidency looking young and excited you just became the most powerful person in the world and you get to make the world a better place how you see fit everyone has got to be stoked as shit that that's happening. And then you come out of it looking like a zombie ate the bottom half of your body and ripped your heart out. And I think your I think your second situation is what's the truth. You go in and learn everything and you realize how precariously balanced the world is. There's so much going on. I don't mean to say that there's this always pending apocalyptic event that's going to throw us into zombies chasing us in the street, but most big things could fall apart really quickly if anything goes wrong. The fact that a person can back their truck up into a power center and take out power in half the United States speaks to that. The fact that a solar flare can take out our satellites and all communication is going to shut down, that speaks to that. These are big, bad things can happen. And we're constantly teetering. And so my argument is, wouldn't you rather be hugging each other when that happens so we can start from a place of positivity and cooperation 
Would you rather be fucking hating each other so you kill the other half of the population as soon as you get the chance? Well, it sure seems like based... I mean, the phenomenon of the filter bubble is... It happens because people would f- prefer the first one. Like, people <laughs> want to be hugging and happy and cooperative and and baby pictures and puppies and, you know, f- Joe Biden Obama memes. Like <laughs> certainly seem to on a small scale, right? And so... You know, maybe the states work because the small scale is supposed to be where it's levered. And it's like once every four years, we have to come out and we have to have this conversation and it gets nasty. What's interesting to me in the in the conversation there is the idea of, okay, people people would prefer to live in that filter bubble and be happy and, and cooperative and all that kind of stuff. But we increasingly, if you follow this graph, have been having elections that are more and more about a response to discontent with the state of the system, right? Like Obama's first campaign was all about change and hope. And to be honest, Donald Trump ran on exactly the same thing. It was a more negative, caustic version, but the message was the same. I'm going to change the system. So that's two elections you know, eight years apart where what was voted for was we need a new system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. So it's like, so, so the hopeful that part always of me, what's voted on the hopeful part of me is it's just like a pendulum thing. It's going to swing back and forth till it lands kind of in the middle. And then everyone will get to live in the happiness that they exist. Just the scary part is if it keeps flying one direction or the other, right? Cause like, on the liberal side, I'm seeing scary stuff happen. Like these, some of the, like, like I, I understand the pushback against the safe space idea, because if you enter a safe space and you're not welcome there, you are assaulted as if segregation mm-hmm. is happening. So mm-hmm. I'm buoyed by the hope of what you were just saying, that positivity is what people choose Without of the con- without the constraints of trying to make decisions about a system more complex than they than anyone could possibly understand, <laughs> everyone chooses happiness and and hope and prosperity and and all these other things. So how do you bridge the gap between the two? I think that's where it comes to political discourse, right? Like, so I think it's important to have perspective on. It's important to have a, a broader time frame perspective on the things that we're arguing about. And I think I think it's just really, really important that we stop uh, demeaning each other. The winners should not spite the losers and the losers should not hate the winners. And that concept needs to go away. That's what has existed for eight years in one direction, and it just swapped, and it immediately went the other direction. All my friends who I think of as really smart and passionate who post these like pretty left, left-leaning liberal things have immediately switched to being angry and hateful. And they don't mean to be, and I didn't even recognize how far they were in the other direction under the other rule And now I'm looking, I'm like, oh my God, what just happened? We have been exactly the same as the other side. Other, 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 against, against, against. And and it that is why I've felt so disillusioned after this election, because everyone just fucking hates each other. But it's only about this one area. It's not regular life. And in three weeks, we're gonna go back to people posting selfies of their newborn babies and their families and their friends and their parties and their holiday parties with their friends who voted for Donald Trump and voted for Hillary Clinton and voted for third party. And people are gonna be loving each other and hugging. And so we need to carry that over if we want to exist in the current form of our country and government. Where's the love, man? If you can f- could find, you know, like how do you find a way to be proactive in your life or in local politics or just wherever you need to direct it to put that idea of it you know you bear the baggage it's like a mindfulness thing i guess right it's like being mindful of your bias and your baggage and your feelings and all that kind of stuff and then trying to still counter that with positivity when you encounter somebody else where you want to talk about this this sort of political thing and then what do you do when their response is 
not constructive or negative. I don't, I don't know that I have answers for that, but I sort of feel like it's, that's, this is the thing we're both chasing here, right? You just, you give them a hug you just hug them and you hold them until they start to cry. And then you cry and then the credits roll. Well, exactly. I was going to say, oh, what a beautiful scene. <laughs> the happiness comment, despite being uh, a very Southern California hippie uh, yogic attitude. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, <laughs> I'm going to declaration of independence you. The second section, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Like, this was a bunch of dudes sitting around going, okay, this government has got to start from the place of everyone is allowed to pursue this thing that we have decided is paramount above all else. Yeah. Happiness and freedom to do whatever the fuck you want. Right. And then, but mm-hmm. then the rest of this document says, except you can't always do whatever you want because you don't right. want to impinge on other people's happiness. And then that's and there. That's, it gets complicated. And that's the grounds of the whole system though. So like when you talk about, we need a new system or the weight politically seems to be going in the direction of increasing discontent with the state of our system. Like, I think what Trump got elected on is this idea that, okay, we tried the guy who fits in with the standard establishment and says he's going to change everything. And we weren't happy as a populace with how that went. So now we're going to install the guy who's saying, okay, what we got to do is burn the system down. And that's scary because it's really risky to burn the system down to try to fix it. <laughs> it's just as a message. Right. Um, it is. It's a scary way to come at it, but maybe that's necessary. But maybe that's necessary. And so so it's that thing like, but but how do you get back to that message of everyone is just chasing happiness? Right? It's like the person who wants universal health care wants it because they want to not worry about the shit that's making them sick so they can be happy. The people that don't want universal health care, it's generally because they don't want their payments to go up because they think that having that money is what makes them happy and I don't mean to present that as if I don't agree with that. I just, you know, like that's just, that's the perspective that is presented on that side of that argument. Right. It's like, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you help unify everyone in an understanding that like, they just are voting for the thing that they think is going to make them happy. And so how do you, how do you help with that conversation when you think they're misguided and it's like that's what takes it to this place of it gets philosophical and like religious because that's what religion is supposed to be about too Mm -hmm. here's how you lead a good life that makes everyone around you happy yeah the religions start with moral codes like so it it's 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 all that you know i it's it 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 gets into philosoph like you can spend a lifetime thinking about the philosophical debates around (laughs) like what what is happiness even so let's be let's be a little more realistic here as we kind of come to the end of this episode uh it's great to say be happy all the time i think it would be fabulous if instead of people on facebook railing on how much they hate the other candidate if they had instead spent their time talking about the positive aspects of the candidate that they were supporting that would have been very helpful that would actually help me understand what another person sees from their perspective and what I could base things on. If you just tell me how dumb I am and how dumb my perspective is and how dumb the person I'm supporting is, I'm not going to get, you can't get anywhere. I can't learn or grow from that. I can only get upset or frustrated or at best uh, not get upset and frustrated and still not learn anything. But at the same time, we've got to be realistic that when you believe that someone's going to do something horrible, you have to speak up. And I think I think genuinely a lot of people that voted for Donald Trump thought that Hillary Clinton was going to continue to do some horrible things. And I think that's fair. And, and I want to be very clear uh, that I am afraid that Donald Trump and, and the people that he's surrounding himself with are going to do some horrible things themselves. And so it would have been very helpful. And I said this explicitly to people. Can you tell me what you see that gives you hope? 
and makes you excited and makes you proud to vote for the person that you're voting for. Maybe not even proud. That's not necessarily fair. If you hate both candidates, you can't be proud that you're voting for one of them. But what is it that you're going for? What are you hoping to accomplish? What are we hoping to accomplish? And what am, what are we supposed to do right now? Right. And how do we handle things when they're when doom is on the horizon, right? You can't just be positive all the time. If someone's going to, if something horrible is going to happen, you got to speak up. I believe that thoroughly. There are a lot of famous quotes talking about that. The way in which Donald Trump ran his campaign to get elected and without judging any of his policies or any of his perspectives or any of his plans as president, I can factually say that he spent a lot of his time talking negatively, at least negative spin on a lot of the things that he said. And he used that emotion to uh, appeal to people. And in doing so, it's, I can't, I don't know where I sit on this conceptually, but I have deep, dark thoughts sometimes. I have thoughts that I think are bad. I have thoughts that like I know are bad. And I try not to act on them. And I'm not sure if I'm a bad person just because I have them. I like to think I'm not. But when you were kind of taught that acting on them is where you make them reality and when they become bad, when they become damaging. And uh, he chose to act on a lot of them. And that is damaging. That's releasing. uh, It's making it okay for everyone to act on thoughts that I think a lot of people know are bad. And that's why you get a lot of defensiveness on both sides too. And Hillary Clinton, whether or not she's just as corrupt or or, excuse me, I don't mean to presuppose that anybody is corrupt without looking at particular facts, but maybe you believe that both of them are evil and corrupt and, and in the system and, and elites taking advantage to make themselves wealthy. But She didn't present things that way. She didn't tell you how awful other human beings are. She didn't tell you that people of different races uh, are going to hurt you or rape you. She didn't incite violence in the same way. And even as I'm saying this, I realize that that's just not how it was presented around the world. I think everyone on the other side feels a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump feel the same way that she was doing all those things. And that, that takes us back to our original conversation of... What the fuck just happened with our news? Right. What the fuck just happened with our source of information? Yeah. And where do we go from here? Well, and it just, it's like, what do you do? I don't know. I feel like I, I like, I'm, I'm a C again in terms of where this goes for, I don't know. Maybe think, this doesn't go anywhere. Maybe this is like an a, episode in this, a sullen, right? depressing episode. But yeah, it just, it's like, <laughs> I mean, that's fine too. We always try to end with like a, Hey, here's how to deal with selecting a energy efficient car. Well, here's how to deal with this talking one. About, Keep but, thinking. <laughs> you know, like I, it's not. It's there's. That's where I am. I I I was unprepared to start this topic, even though I know I know it was like the appropriate one for us to tackle right now because I don't know what I'm thinking about stuff still. I still don't know. Yeah, I really don't know. Like, it just I'm, it's what I've been trying to pick apart, and I thought that is the place that we could go with it and maybe this is the next podcast is like how how in terms of the media that's put in front of us in terms of our access to information and how we use it why did why is this one such a big deal right like i was alive for george w bush getting elected and i remember that people were not so happy about it and it certainly it also came down to a contentious election where he didn't win the popular vote but it didn't feel so apocalyptic. And I feel like the tone, certainly in Southern California right now, is very morose and apocalyptic. It's also a gloomy day, which doesn't usually happen here. Bummer. But we need to elect a new governor, apparently. Because it's gloomy. <laughs> <laughs> I promise more sun. Uh, right. I mean, I guess I, the part of the problem is we the entirety of this, our, our conversation thus far and the messaging of the podcast has very much been like, here's cool technology stuff that is an answer to a problem you probably didn't know you have, but here's mm-hmm. the interesting moral stuff that factors into solving <laughs> that problem you didn't know that you had, right? It's been light and like, easy. 
I don't think there is an answer for how technology fixes this. Like it, it, it requires a fundamental shift in human behavior that I don't know that like, I mean, the fundamental shift is happening in the form of how we communicate. Right. But it's like, it's like a fundamental shift in perception that I don't like it's you, we can't get through it in an hour of explaining to you how iPads work. Well, it has to, <laughs> it has to come down to a set of rules that are quantifiable and that we can measure outcomes. That's kind of what we do. That's kind of what like modern uh, intellectual politics does. It says, well, let's look at this thing that's needed and let's try to kind of maximize its potential for, for the population. You know, we try to do good where it makes the biggest difference. And that doesn't always work out and it becomes obvious where that's skewed because of capitalistic endeavors and money, 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 power, power, power. But the, the general idea is let's put let's take this this concept and put it into this equation and maximize the graph. And hey, we pick the policy that <laughs> right. optimizes for the outcome. Maybe eighty percent of people maybe only eighty percent of people can be healthy. And then okay, well if eighty percent can be a hundred percent healthy, do we want to make ninety percent of people ninety percent healthy? Where's that trade off? It's these little subtleties. Right. And that's and whole... that starts off with uh, like a, a, a philosophical assumption right at the beginning, which is utilitarian mm -hmm. that the greatest good for the greatest number of people is the best thing. What if in that 90% is what if, what if in that 10% of people that, you know, of that 10% is an untreated case of cancer that kills, you know, the guy that would have led us to world peace or, Right? What if in that 10% like, is the an entire race who happens to be genetically predisposed to that right. problem? And that exists. That, that Those are real problems, right? So, uh, I guess, so I guess like I the think, thing that I always want to chase though is like, could we, where can, where does technology cut off and you have to just think about it as a person? Like, are there tools we could build to help you with that analysis of the outcomes of certain things? And it's the problem. It doesn't matter because all we could ever feed you is statistics and they're meaningless because of the reasons we've talked about in previous podcasts. It all, it all comes back to the idea of equality and fairness. That's like the underlying aspect of the universe that seems to be at play here. We have, we've kind of all come to the conclusion that it would be great if we were all treated equally. And I know people, I think most people... It seems like most people believe that, even though maybe they act differently. Like they it consciously kind of self-evident, <laughs> right? They're they're like we, yeah. People should be equal. I just don't like those people, and so there's a disconnect there that you can see sometimes. But I think generally people are like, yeah, that's a good rule. Let's treat people well. Um, but the problem becomes then fairness, and that's just a constantly shape. That's just a constant uh, equation that we're chasing that can't really ever be achieved as we make things we live in a country where very few people die from horrible diseases that used to kill most of the population before they came became adults uh, we don't have things like polio or or worms living in our stomachs like most of the human population used to a few hundred years ago we have antibiotics easy access generally relatively easy access to hospitals even if you don't have health insurance you can still go to the hospital and generally I, most not, places will treat you not allowed to you not have to treat you there's a law you have water <laughs> you can get around like there's a lot of stuff right that's really really good and and so now all of a sudden the granularity of what is awful and what is fairness is the granularity smaller but we as humans are really good at adjusting our perspective and adjusting our place in the world and recognizing unfairness and so i think the well, I think that's where the question gets to the system, which is it, the question of does the system need to be replaced comes down to if everyone is fundamentally questing for essentially like on a quest for essentially the same thing. And then there are these ideas of fairness. And like if we want to treat it like a system that's going to flow toward that diffusion and fairness that we're always chasing on this podcast, is the structure of democracy now getting in the way of people's inclination to chase that that diffusion mm, maybe like 
I don't know what you would stack up in its place, but the argument might be our form of representative democracy and separate states is is antiquated, like you were saying earlier in this hour. Of <laughs> <laughs> like it uh like maybe that's the place that our system is broken, which is everyone is questing toward a certain degree of, of this, like, well, that's not fair that this happens and this happens. And our system and our and the and the system we have can't serve that. It, it's not hopeful because shit replacing that system is not a, an easy fucking you know. It's not like boop, <laughs> fixed. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I don't. I don't. I got. I don't know. Keep. I'm thinking. picturing the end of a serious Radio Lab episode where they just kind of cut to silence. I once saw diplomacy defined as letting other people have your way. <laughs> My feathered cap of intelligence. Just, didn't I need work the inception there. sound right now. Just whoa. Just... Uh, resistance is futile. <laughs> sure fucking is. <laughs>